I had to kind of be critical of thinking how I could utilize my experience and my privilege in a way that would affect my community and and change some of the things that I didn't like about the industry and didn't like about the culture of Vancouver. And I didn't really feel empowered, I guess, to take on like any big political systems or change the music industry single-handedly or something like that. But I could just do the things that felt right for me or the things that I kind of believed in. And because of that, there's been a lot of reception from folks in the industry and in the city. And that's more of influencing change rather than trying to like destroy the systems that are in place that are we're not able to take them on. It's all kind of in in the approach. And I live for moments like this. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Vicarious, a podcast that dives into the creative minds of me, Alex Scott. Me, Karen White. And anyone else who will talk to us. <laughs> and today, that person is Josh Eastman. Josh is a music producer and mixing engineer based on the unceded Coast Salish territories, or so-called Vancouver. His work has landed on dozens of Spotify and Amazon Music editorial playlists, HBO, Amazon Prime, and Warner Brothers soundtracks, and recognized in outlets such as Exclaim, Complex, CBC, and The Georgia Strait. He spends much of his time operating Helm Studios, a nonprofit music production studio supporting low-income, LGBT+, BIPOC, and disabled artists in the music industry. Welcome, Josh. Yay, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming <laughs> on this very hot day. Very hot day. <laughs> so, Josh, we start every episode with one creative thing that we've done this week. Can we put the spotlight on you and start mm. with your creative thing? Yeah. I think my creative thing, or at least my novel creative thing was doing a photo shoot for uh, Spotify Canvas for a single that I'm releasing next month. Nice. Um, nice. So that was, uh, you know, I'm always being creative, but it was something yeah. different and, and new. So Did you come up with the concept for the photo yourself or did you like work with the photographer? How did that all pan out? Yeah, I worked with a couple friends of mine on it, but I we had a sort of brainstorming session and, and came up with the concept together. Yeah. Cool. cool. And sorry, by next month, oh, you mean... It's currently May. Next month, <laughs> next month is June. It'll be at the end of June. Yeah. Not sure exactly when yeah. this episode is <laughs> yeah. going live, but end of June. Yeah. yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Is there any highlights you can tell us about the photo shoot or like kind of like a vibe that you were going for? Well, the track's called Warhol. So the photo shoot was based around a soup can. Nice. <laughs> oh, I'm excited yeah. to see it. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. And Karen, what's one creative thing you did this week? All right, well, my creative thing isn't nearly as cool as yours, Josh. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also something that I have not technically started yet, but I will, will be doing this week, which is beginning a sewing project. I think I've mentioned on previous episodes. Yeah, episode one, we like, had a, oh, yeah. a, a reference to the sewing machine and a TBD. So here's the TBD. <laughs> here's TBD. the D. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of, of sorts. Not... Not that D. Not that D. Just <laughs> determined. Here's a determined time. Which uh, is now, um, but for the listener, which is sometime in the past. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, I had to enlist the help of my mom because mm -hmm. I just, Josh, I got this sewing machine for my birthday last year and I wanted to pick up sewing mm -hmm. and it's been more than a year and I've been too scared to touch it. It just seemed very daunting to me. And then I finally got another like wave of motivation recently. So I was like, I need to get someone else to hold me accountable to this. So I asked my mom to come teach me. And yeah, we've got scheduled sewing dates now. Wednesdays, awesome. Wednesday 
morning. That's how you get a project done. That's Put it in it. the calendar. Exactly. Accountability. Exactly. <laughs> so hopefully by this time next week, I'll have a table runner. <laughs> nice. Yes. What what did what kind of fabric did you pick out for the table runner? Um, it's just a cotton, cotton, mm-hmm. some kind of cotton, heavyweight. What, what color, Karen? <laughs> oh, it's blue oh. with some some kind of wheat colored flowers. It's a very oh, cool. It's a very cool fabric from this company based in Vancouver, Blackbird Fabrics. And they have this like hand printed fabric that I thought was really pretty. So I got that. I got a lot of fabric. So now I really have to like it because <laughs> I've got to make a table runner, a tote bag, a dress and some pants. Nice. Yes. So I'm ready for all that. And let's just really hope I uh, stick with it. Because <laughs> let's it hope you enjoy sewing. <laughs> yeah, let's really hope so. <laughs> okay. What about you, Alex? What's your creative thing of the week? So again, my creative thing feels less interesting than both making my own clothes and table runner. We're just getting less and less interesting as we go. My my creative thing this week was editing the podcast and learning how to use Pro Tools better and learning exactly what an um looks like in a waveform. And the function of um, it's been kind of uh, a fascinating little study to hear where we place our ums and what they're followed by and just the function of an um in a conversation. It's just like this little this little pause for our brain to catch up to our mouths or vice versa. Right, right. Uh, So, oh, and there it is. (laughs) Won't take that one up for continuity. So yeah, that's been that's been fun. Just kind of getting a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more a little bit quicker using Pro Tools and doing Mm -hmm. doing the like fine editing of the pod so that we sound as articulate as possible. Yes, just know that a lot of editing has gone into (laughs) making us sound this articulate. Hopefully, hopefully it pays (laughs) off. Articulate enough. Yeah. So Josh, the first question that we ask all of our guests is, have you always considered yourself a creative person? I don't know. Maybe maybe to some extent. To expand on the question a little bit, did you, maybe not at the time because you were a child, but in hindsight, did you think of yourself as a creative kid? I don't know. I I, I guess it's kind of difficult to answer. I, I think, I, I guess I wasn't really thinking about it in, in any kind of like categorical way of being like, this is who I am as a, as a child, you know, but I was always interested in like art and music. And my parents have stories of me being like very drawn to, to music when I was really young, before mm-hmm. I was really like sentient. So <laughs> I guess in that capacity, I've always been creative, but I don't know, it always feels like such a complicated word or like... Yeah, go, um, go into that a little bit, because that's something that Kara and I discussed in the first couple episodes like how there is kind of a lot built up around the cre- the word creativity so when you talk about that for you what are the kind of conflicts that come up for you mm. well I think that oftentimes when we're using the word creative we're using it in like an arts-based concept mm-hmm. and I don't think it's like a bad word by any means but I think that it's something that oftentimes gives us kind of license to be like well I'm creative and they're not creative or like our brains just all kind of work in different ways and 
some things that feel very like intuitive don't necessarily feel particularly actively creative just because I'm not thinking about attempting to be creative, you know, sometimes or yeah. or thinking about it necessarily being like my identity or like being a creative person. But I think I feel the same way about terms like musician or artist or any of those kind of things where we have to have categorizing terms and like labels for those things. But sometimes it just feels like you don't know where to put yourself in that or feels like, you know, maybe I'm getting too into the weeds with that kind of thing. But that's that's kind of how I think about it, I guess, yeah. or like yeah. not necessarily being like some people are creative and, and others aren't. Or yeah, totally. Yeah. And there's a lot of focus on output in terms of like, what have you made as mm, opposed to like mm. creative thinking? Yeah, which is hard to quantify. And yeah. so it's understandable. But that definitely is kind of part of the challenge with with the thing is like needing to back up or justify your creativity or be like creative to who, um, yeah. I guess. So yeah. I guess I would say I've always been creative or, you know, to some degree or been like interested in creating things maybe mm-hmm. is, is a way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of makes sense, too, just in terms of like, I'm, I feel like I might be putting words in your mouth here, but in terms of like those defined roles, like maybe having trouble identifying with one, with one or with specific ones because you have so many skills and you, you could be slotted into like any number, right? Musician, producer, engineer, songwriter, composer, <laughs> and yeah. you know, more things that I don't know. And those were all uh, music related, but you know, the, you've, you're, as we all are, we're multifaceted people the creativity doesn't exist just in one realm Mm. of our lives yeah I think for me, I guess in terms of like output, music is definitely the place where I guess I feel most comfortable sharing or feel like most equipped to convey my ideas. I'm really interested in visual art, but it's something that I don't feel confident enough to like display any sort of creative ideas or concepts through. But yeah, definitely how you sort of like identify and things can can really impact the way that I guess other people respond to to you in creative fields. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it makes sense. Yeah, I always I struggle with I mean, you know, we already have brought this up on the podcast, but I struggle with the idea of saying I am creative, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, I think everyone is creative. There's inherent creativity in everyone. But at the same time, when you are a, a quote unquote creative person or creative by profession, or you f- you feel like a pressure for displaying that creativity and having it be, uh, it's like undefinable, but having it be like present is mm-hmm. something that everyone can define in you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just a little background between how we all know each other. We did all attend the jazz program at CAF. (laughs) And as you said, a lot of your creative output or or most of your creative output has been funneled into music. Mm -hmm. and, And your career is centered around music now. But you did have a little detour away from music. And one thing I wanted to say is one way that I see your creativity is in your fashion and mm. your your creative expression through clothes and just mm-hmm. through putting together outfits and your personal style. And you did do some modeling. So you were involved in the fashion industry yeah. for a time between CAP and starting your musical career, Mm -hmm. really. Could you talk to us a little bit about that detour in life, that career path, and maybe how that does translate through to your life now? Not necessarily career, but, you know, Mm -hmm. personal fashion expression. Yeah, I think, I think like all forms of self-expression are important. And I've always been interested in artists who are able to express through like multiple mediums. And I think fashion is one of those things that is definitely like of interest to me. And the fact 
fashion industry was something that had a, a bit of appeal to me at that time. And going into modeling, I think that's like the least creative that you can be <laughs> because you don't really have any way to assert your vision. It's fairly like limited and you're just kind of yeah. a prop. <laughs> more that is really interesting to think about that. Like you are part of the visual medium. You are like, you are you're part of the else's <laughs> creativity. Like you're yeah. the product of someone else's creativity. Yeah. yeah, you're a vessel to impart the creativity onto the audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it's, yeah, it's the least creative role you could really have in that space, but you are then in proximity to people who are, you know, you're able to speak with about their sort of vision or, or be a part of the process. And depending on how significant or like large the project is commercially, you might have the chance to speak to somebody about their designs, you know, if they're up and coming or you might <laughs> be shooed away, you know, it, it just depends. And I'm just realizing now that I never actually really asked you about your modeling in terms of like, were you doing all print, mostly print? Were you doing any runway? Uh, I didn't do any runway. I'm too tall, actually, to do oh. runway in, in For the most listener, places. Josh is... I'm six foot four. Yeah. Um, but my modeling agent would tell you I am six foot three, oh. <laughs> which was still too tall. Yeah. Did you have um, to hunch over when you... I'm always hunched over. over. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, like, I have some some photos. I don't know if they'd be out there anywhere, but where the pants are, like, clipped onto me and they're, like, nowhere near my waist just because oh they don't gosh. fit at all. So um, that was a little bit of a hassle. And when I came back to Vancouver, because I'd been uh, overseas like working in Singapore for a little while when I came back I was doing some catalog stuff for like Oakenfort and all of the clothes were made in Korea and made in China and they did not they were not made for me. Right. I don't know why I got the job, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I did the, the, like the e-commerce and stuff for, for them for a while. And yeah, and nothing <laughs> fit the way that it was supposed to. And then I was not able to get jobs around here because they were A, looking for like mixed race fitness models, which I am neither okay. of. And, and also, yeah, I was just, I was too tall. So that was maybe the most palatable reason why I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so it was yeah. more of a challenge that, like, for for uh, reasons that weren't up to you, I guess. Yeah. Rather than you moving on. From yeah, there. I think the moving on was maybe more related to like relationship with like body and mental health mm, and like yeah. your agents, <laughs> which yeah, I will, right. <laughs> maybe oh, is for another goodness. podcast. But yeah. <laughs> no, I can only imagine like seeing. Well, yeah, in that industry, like what a toll that could take on your relationship to yourself to your physical mm-hmm. self to your yeah yeah there's so many like you'll see articles of celebrities who you know are in like peak physical form and then they're like I've never been so unhappy and everyone's mm-hmm. like whatever you know yeah. um and 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 it's, it's the same thing with like anything else mm-hmm. you like get to this thing that's a social standard and it's like you're supposed to be that and then firstly those standards change and mm-hmm. um they're just kind of like made up super arbitrary <laughs> yeah. and yeah um but also yeah it really impacts the way that you sort of look at yourself in terms of like a commodity in the same way that being like a musical artist and like quantifying yourself with streams or social media followers or any of those kind of things mm-hmm. really you just feel this dissonance between what your personal values are and then the values that you feel responsible for holding socially mm-hmm. so i guess there's just kind of like a disconnect there which i think leads a lot into what i do now of trying to sort of create alongside industry and not necessarily participate in it as is because I don't see necessarily like the ability to take on all of these like large you know quote-unquote creative industry 
communities and, and be able to make real change while being a part of them. So kind of moving alongside them feels the way to, I guess, create rather than create change in a system, build parallel to it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that your experience modeling influenced that choice? Was it related or are these kind of just two streams of your life that have happened and, and the impact is maybe less conscious or less connected? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're directly connected other than the fact that they're both part of kind of like the lived experience, I guess, that Mm -hmm. motivates me. But yeah, maybe not in any kind of direct capacity that I'm aware of. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. And I do want to get into what you're doing now, but just a very, (laughs) just a very quick touch on you uh, lived and worked in Singapore for a little while. Can you just talk about that? Yeah, (laughs) I'm at no risk of getting arrested, but I was there (laughs) illegally. Oh, okay, right, um, because you didn't have a work visa? Yeah, um, but I I was in a pretty privileged position. I mean, coming from Canada and and coming from like a a middle class family, like I had Mm. a lot of, I was there because I wanted to be and because I was asked to be. And there were a lot of, I had 10 roommates um, in like a relatively small apartment. Were they all models? Yeah. Yeah. So you were literally in a model house. Like you hear about, you know, people talking about that, you know, in in New York, like going to, moving to New York for New York Fashion Week and all these movies or all these models living in the same apartment. And yeah. Yeah. Very not glamorous. (laughs) Very not that fun. Everyone was kind of just, you know, we all cooked together and worked out sometimes and like went to the park and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was a lot of downtime when I was there because Fashion Week wasn't starting up for like maybe a couple of weeks from the time that I got there. So I had a lot of free time to just explore and it was all paid for. So I was like, this is great. And I ended up leaving my contract early and coming home. I was supposed to continue traveling around from there. But I guess back to where I started was that a lot of my roommates were from from either like impoverished countries or came from families that they were unsafe being around. And so I was surrounded by a lot of people who were not there by choice um, Mm. and who were like traveling from like country to country and bouncing around and like the working conditions weren't particularly great. And and from what I've heard from other folks in my life who've modeled and, and done so internationally, like it tends to kind of be the way pretty much everywhere in the world is that the conditions aren't really that great and you don't have a lot of autonomy. So it's really interesting to see a lot of folks who are doing this to create a better life for themselves where I had kind of had the opportunity to step back and be like, I could go home and work a minimum wage job and make more money and do something that I love and just be in a better environment. But there was a lot of really wonderful experience from connecting and and living with people from like all over the world with really different lived experiences. But the actual job itself was something or jobs, I guess, were left a lot to be desired. <laughs> <laughs> that's a yeah, and that's a lot to take in as because you were you were very young at that point, weren't you? you were about I think I was nineteen. Twi- nineteen twenty, yeah. like yeah. yeah. Most people, because you finished high school early, a year a year or so early. Yeah, so I was you were, sixteen when I graduated. Yeah, yeah, so even just that, like going into university at yeah. you know at seventeen, like Josh was the the baby of the friend group. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so that's just a lot to take on as a young. person person mm-hmm. yeah and a young fairly sheltered person as right. well like right. <laughs> was that your first experience kind that of being my around? first time living alone first yeah. time living yeah. alone yeah. yeah well not really alone with well, people. Yeah. first time yeah. living without uh, yeah, my without family, your family yeah. totally yeah i'm sure there was a lot of not just culture shock but also just lifestyle situation pr- shock, yeah. situation yeah. shock privilege yeah. shock right yeah, yeah totally and like singapore is a very affluent place as well so like mm-hmm. there's no homelessness 
yeah, the, the living conditions there in general are quite good and like it's extremely safe for most people, some people. Like quote, um, unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like, it's it's very like utopian on the surface kind of thing. But then right. we were living in a in a prostitute's apartment because prostitution mm-hmm. is, was legal there. Oh, um, and so, and we were there illegally, all of us as models, which <laughs> right. was ironic coming from <laughs> Canada. Yeah, right. But yeah, it was, it was definitely, I learned a lot and, and it was a very different experience. I didn't get to experience a lot of like traditional Singaporean culture, but I got to, it's, it's very small. So I got to see everything there kind of was to see and, and live there for, and for a obviously while. meet a ton of people from different backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So did that change your trajectory once you came home? Like, did you, I mean, did you have a trajectory when you started modeling? Did you have a career path in mind? Mm, I I mean, I don't think I ever thought of, of doing anything in that industry that wasn't just modeling. Like I didn't really have a, a vision to, to go off and do anything else. I probably thought it was going to be something different than it was mm-hmm. and thought either that it would be easier or different or like more fulfilling at some kind of emotional level that it really wasn't. Um, and I think a lot of it was just kind of like self-justification as well of being like, there aren't that many people who get the opportunity to do that because the parameters for what you can look like and who you can be are so narrow that I think it was like a lot of validation sort of that I was seeking and then you get into that position and you're like oh I that's not right. the answer is not feel, here I don't feel yeah. valid I, yeah. or I'm not yeah. validated <laughs> yeah. by yeah. this yeah 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 when you did come home you came back into music through teaching is that right yeah yeah, yeah. And then can you tell us a little bit about the journey into production and engineering? Because you're, are you primarily self-taught? Because I know we didn't get any of that in school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I started when I was teaching. I went back to school, I think around the same time that I moved back, I started teaching and I went back to school. And then at the university, there was also the film building that was quite close to us. And I knew some folks there and I was really interested in film scoring. And so I started scoring some like student films and indie films and things things like that and thought that that was maybe where the direction would go because I realized through the performance program that that was really not the direction that I wanted to go. Composition was something that was more exciting for me. And then the film thing quickly fizzled out just because the hours are insane and the turnaround times and like there's all these kind of huge barriers that didn't feel worth it. And my partner at the time was also in film. And so I got to watch them like go through that and was like, (laughs) no, (laughs) not not for me. And so I guess I've kind of seen music production as a more like it's just like a pop way of composing or arranging right it's like still the layering of instruments and and building sort of you know an emotional soundscape or something like that out of you know trying to kind of like meet the material like if someone brings you a song then you're rather than writing the song you're creating sort of the orchestration around it so I think a lot of the education that I had growing up through like music lessons and both in sort of public school and in private lessons and then also the jazz school gave me so much of the musical knowledge that I needed and a lot of that seemed to translate pretty easily into production and then through production kind of picked up a lot of more engineering chops and then just started freelancing at different studios and then just it, I, I stopped asking so many questions and I stopped being asked so many questions because there's no real right way to do these things even the really technical things mm. so um I guess after a while I, I just stopped being questioned by by people or stopped <laughs> questioning myself as much and so I was like I guess I can just do this now and and you know I started working with folks who had been in the industry for a long time and nobody was saying that I was doing things wrong <laughs> so <laughs> no news I just is gotta, good news yeah exactly exactly <laughs> 
And so you also recorded your own music. Is that kind of also how, like, I guess you said that it started with film scoring in terms mm-hmm. of like learning DAW, yeah, <laughs> yeah. whatever, <laughs> and composing, but you were also songwriting as well yeah. at that time and, and like making and, and writing your own music mm-hmm. and obviously like a film score versus like a song that you've written, you would approach kind of differently. Yeah. A lot of me writing my, well, I, I've been writing music since I was a kid, but a lot of that particular kind of like time of my life I was using songwriting as like a means of really learning about the DAW and and about how to kind of like create electronic music um, which was something I was getting more interested in and also realizing that I would become a little obsolete maybe if I didn't have an understanding of technology because I've never been a very technological person so it was kind of a lot of that and that's also why that music is not accessible anymore because (laughs) I feel like that was so such a part of me learning that I I didn't really I, I felt like it wasn't really representative of how how I guess I wanted to demonstrate my my abilities um, mm-hmm. now. Did you know that going into that project, like when you were working on those songs, you, did you have that understanding or is it just something you looked back on later and realized that didn't represent you? Yeah, I think I went in a little naive and I yeah. was like, well, I can just do it myself. But I think that that was a good attitude to have in in that I did it and I got it done and then I can look mm. back on it and, and learn from that experience. But I think I felt confident, but I hadn't really spent a lot of time I guess, listening to other material with that sort of like engineering or production lens to see. I mean, I was certainly like learning from other musicians and and taking in how I perceived things to be. But as I learned more, I was like, oh, okay, maybe missing a few things. Yeah, (laughs) right. Well, and I think it was probably a super necessary step in your process to becoming a producer who works with artists and helps them build Mm -hmm. out their songs. Like, I I mean, I don't know if this is true for all producers, but if you haven't made your own music, it's hard to, I, I imagine it's a lot harder to get into that process yeah I guess there's definitely like a, an element of understanding I, I I imagine sort of like maybe this isn't the best analogy but like a, a director or something like if you don't understand what it's like to act or you don't understand what color grading is or something the more that you do understand the more you're able to participate in like the holistic kind of vision mm-hmm. and so there are a lot of producers who are not engineers and a lot of engineers who are not producers and a lot of producers who aren't songwriters or whatever and the way we kind of quantify these things and so I think the more that you understand the better <laughs> you're able to participate in the sort of like whole process definitely helpful to be able to to write or to have experience having written music yeah Yeah. I've never understood how people can have such a specific job in that process and not understand the other aspects that go into it how do you do your job in a thorough way without knowing the bigger project or knowing the other steps I have to take that Mm -hmm. so confusing to me (laughs) and sometimes it's like maybe not being able to communicate that knowledge but having an intuition or having at least like absorb Mm -hmm. things enough sometimes when I co-produce with with people whether it's the artist that I'm working with or whether it's like another engineer producer the ways that we communicate are sometimes really specific and it's like you know oh that should be an E instead of an E flat but sometimes it's like this needs to be warmer or like thicker or things that are a little bit more ephemeral and and, Mm -hmm. and harder to pin down and so I think that oftentimes people who are really good at their job but they are very focused is that they 
have a good way of explaining what they do, but they also do have a sympathy for the other aspects of things and an understanding that maybe just isn't, they're not able to sort of convey with language or they may not be able to do that job, but they understand it. Right. They can kind of grasp it and Mm. communicate, I guess, is that's a huge part of it. Just you saying those words of warmth and, you know, we could also have such different understandings of what those things entail. Yeah. The more language we're able to use or like the more... Yeah, we're able to understand those processes, right? The easier it probably is to understand what's being asked and Mm -hmm. expected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's tricky. And I don't know when is a great time to bring this up, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) Josh helped uh, create my my album, Adult Skin, and my (laughs) to-be-released EP. (laughs) And in fact, we are using, at least for season one, a clip of the song Meet Me Downtown, which I recorded with Josh. Josh produced that tune. And we recorded a lot of that project over COVID, or at least started most of the project kind of I guess virtually, yeah. more or less, like dis- mm. distance. How, how did that look? Distanced or not? Well, part of it was distance, but what I really meant to say was over Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> Eventually, once once the app we're, that shall not be named. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, once we you know got vaccinated and ma- you know eventually we moved into in person and masked and and all that all the precautions. But initially, it did start over over Zoom Zoom-y. online. Yeah. So I think that especially in that circumstance, like being able to communicate. And mm-hmm. and for you being able to interpret what the artist is trying to communicate is so pivotal. Yeah, the the pandemic was a really strange <laughs> time, and and definitely I, I think that's so it it affects the way that we communicate, and it's not always just language. And there are so many ways to kind of like convey your idea, and and so many ways that we can interpret what other people are saying. The way that you know we interpret anything is usually different from each other. So. It's just hoping to kind of find the middle ground. And also sometimes you get things you weren't looking for by collaborating with other people for better or for worse. And that's either part of the process that you kind of accept or it's something that you kind of learn from and and try and find better ways of communicating. Yeah, yeah. And just to bring it back to kind of pandemic, but not pandemic specific, but just around that time, I believe that was close to the beginning of like the inception of Helm. Is that right? Can you tell us, can you bring us back to like how... Helm came to be. Mm. So I, at that point in time, uh, I was leaving my teaching job and was working in production full time, which was kind of a good time to <laughs> to do that, um, especially as everything went remote. And I was working on a project out of like a commercial facility where the the day rate was just really high. And and for listeners who don't know, can you just explain what a day rate is? Oh, so uh, just the cost to rent the facility for the day for so recording. This, yeah, it's a space yeah. rental and the the genres, especially that I was working in at, at that time just usually didn't require the amount of space or equipment or things that justify those kind of costs, right? Like, I don't think it's an inherently bad thing for studio time to be expensive because real estate and the equipment and everything is really expensive. And there are reasons that those facilities exist. And not um, to mention just the time of, of the people working, if you've got multiple people working, yeah, producer, engineer. So that kind of was a, a big thing to be like, well, instead of paying for this space, if we don't need all this equipment, like I was also working 
out of my house. But when the pandemic hit, then I could really only work out of my house. My roommates and my partner were home and it was a small place and it wouldn't have really been very thoughtful for me to be bringing people over and like making noise all the time. And also it wouldn't have been very ideal for recording. So I realized that I needed to get out of my bedroom for <laughs> doing all the kind of like editing and things like that and also couldn't continue to rent at commercial facilities. So found a, like a multi-purpose arts space that I could rent out of. And so rented that for a year to finish this project and also to have a place to, to work out of that wasn't my house. And then had to think about what I would want to do with a space for a year <laughs> and with everything kind of changing, like what that would look like. And so part of the reason that I got into teaching was that I wanted to be able to have kind of the impact that mentors and teachers that I'd had on me. I wanted to have that on other folks and cost was just such a prohibitive barrier for that. There was so much political uh, instability and like turmoil at that time as well. And I, I had to kind of be critical of thinking how I could utilize my experience and my privilege in a way that would affect my community and, and, and sort of change some of the things that I didn't like about the industry and didn't like about the culture of Vancouver and, and sort of North America in general. So I didn't really feel empowered, I guess, to take on like any big political systems or, or to change the music industry single-handedly or something like that. But I, I knew that I could just do the things that felt right for me or the things that I kind of believed in and, and find a way to implement them. And because of that, there's been a lot of sort of like reception from folks in the industry and, and in the city. And, and I think that's really great because I think that that's more of influencing change rather than trying to like destroy the systems that are in place that are we're not able to, to necessarily take them on. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of about politics and it was kind of about passion for music and good timing and because Serb. And your skills. Like yeah. Your skill set. Yeah. I feel like that kind of dovetails nicely into something that Karen was, uh, <laughs> was my, talking one about of earlier. My questions here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's incredible how you started it, how you started this whole endeavor, and how you've continued to to grow and develop it. I think community and representation are two really key factors in art and in, mm. in artistic expression, and those things really need to be present. And I think your studio and the work that you do does such a great job of marrying those two aspects. Mm. So what does it mean to you <laughs> to be a part of that change or to be able to help your communities or, or, or other marginalized communities that maybe mm. you're not even a part of? And such a profound way. It's a little paradoxical <laughs> and like a little <laughs> white saviory, I think. <laughs> but I think it's also like it's all kind of in in the approach. So for me, the change that I know that I can implement is that I can create space where I'm actively listening and trying to kind of meet folks' needs and, and accessibility needs that maybe aren't considered in sort of like traditional industry stuff where it is a bit more cutthroat and it is a bit more sort of like, you know, practical. And, and also to, I think, just cut like cost is, is such a big thing, right? Like generational wealth and all of the factors that go into racism and, and sexism and homophobia and all these kind of things are really affected by class and like who has power and who has authority. So you can either utilize the authority like I have as like as like a white man to try and carve out space for other people to speak and, mm -hmm. and try and speak 
less myself, but it, it does feel a little paradoxical to do that as well because it's like I, I'm part of like a class that is that problem, you yeah. know. But I um, think, but that's like the definition of allyship, really. Mm. You know, it's, it's the people who have power need to make space for others. Other, you know, <laughs> mm. there's a responsibility yeah. there, yeah, right? Yeah, and you're using, you know, you're taking on that responsibility, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's uplifting other other voices, mm. right? We need those people, you know, and we all have different levels of different privileges that we also are responsible for and we need to make sure we're using that power that privilege Mm. to uplift those those groups right Mm. that's all we can do Mm. the industry really operates in a way that is in tandem with neo-capitalism and it supports a lot of these power structures and there are just so many unsavory things that happen in the music industry and, and so many other industries where people really want to have an opportunity to create and express themselves and that gets taken advantage of and so i think by sort of giving more power and autonomy to artists it's an important way of of making sure that music can be heard and and created in in a space where hopefully there isn't that kind of judgment or even in the ways that we kind of like police or or criticize like quality of of work of whether music is good or bad or whether it's acceptable i'm really conscious of trying to hold myself to like not dismiss any idea Mm -hmm. and and make sure that like I maybe have suggestions on certain conventions or even speaking in terms of conventions Mm. rather than right or wrong or good or bad or these kind of things because there are so many musical conventions and so many of the musical conventions that we even think about as being like contemporary music so much of that is influenced by like black culture and queer culture Mm -hmm. and and musics that don't begin with people who have a lot of the authority in in the industry so just giving space for people to create music like whether it's good or bad or whether it will see the light of day or not and just for our listeners, the good and bad was in quotations. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, Not actually good mm, or yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. I mean, a lot of a lot of what we deem good in music are conventions that we are just accustomed to mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the music that we are getting, that we are receiving is very narrow. You know, it's a narrow scope of the human experience and mm-hmm. the voices that are present, right? And yeah. giving space to something different and unique mm-hmm. can resonate with so many people, even if it doesn't necessarily resonate with you, mm-hmm. the yeah. person creating it well, or helping it, to create it. Sorry to jump in there one other aspect of the good and bad quote-unquote good and bad is quality and I think what you're giving to folks is the ability to present their ideas in the highest quality that maybe they wouldn't be able to achieve on their own either because of financial constraints or on their own because of skill constraints for me I mean both both were the case but like I don't have the same skills that you do to to try to produce the music you know to give the song the life that I want it to have Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, you're just giving that opportunity to so many folks of enhancing the quality so that we we do take other voices more seriously because it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this music is just like, I was going to say good. <laughs> but, <laughs> we can't know, get away from it. Auditorially, yeah. like it's, like, it's pleasing. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, yeah. The, the, the quality of production yeah, right, yeah. Is, is in line with what we're used to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's a big part of sort of, I guess, like the political side of things is like the way that you present your ideas 
being radical in any way, there's an immediate gut rejection of, of things that are, are foreign or like unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that means that you have to package everything in the same way. And I think that's something that we're very familiar with, with the industry is like something that's proven is going to be the new standard, right? And it comes in like harmful ways and harmless ways, right? Like there's how loud music is. Like music is extremely loud now and there are normalization standards that are trying to combat that for mm -hmm. like listener experience. And that's relatively harmless. Like it's not a very significant thing, but it's still a standard that you need to be aware of. And if you're releasing music that isn't meeting those kind of standards, it, it's going to like be affected by that. And, and there's so much like information about music production and creation that, you know, there are barriers to that based on like education and time and availability, right? Mm. Um, if you're struggling to pay your rent, you're probably not as worried about how many luffs your song is coming out <laughs> at or like all these kind of things. So True. I think being able to be full time in something and, and, and really like live that day to day, I'm still always learning and I'm still able to grow and, and pass on that knowledge and pass on that information and offer insight, even if I'm not just taking somebody's idea that's different from the status quo and then packaging it as something like pop and polish. It's, it's just offering insight into being like, how will this translate? How will this look on a Spotify playlist if it is something that they're interested in or going for? And also being like, if you're not interested in participating in the industry, if you're not interested in this being a career thing, and it's just a passion that's also equally important mm -hmm. um, and, and being able to express yourself openly and, and have something just to like take home and show people that you're close with is, is just as, as valuable. Yeah. So that's something that really gets lost in the sauce, especially when you think about the cost of recording. So that's amazing that, that that's mm. part of your process, your thought process and, and intention too, like understanding the value of creating and realizing an idea just for the sake of it, not for the sake of participating in an industry. Mm -hmm. Is that a, like an actual conversation that you have with the musicians that come in? Do you kind of see what they yeah <laughs> what not they not always um sometimes it's kind of unspoken mm. and sometimes it's a real conversation especially if people are actively doing things on their own like reaching out to playlisters or pitching to like editorial playlists or um publications there are songs that i think are better than other songs <laughs> or whatever you know that haven't seen the same acclaim or the same you know haven't gotten playlisted or haven't gotten in articles or whatever um part of that's due to like the access for that artist but also it's sometimes like if somebody gets a grant and pays a publicist they can get on a playlist and right. so it's like it's so pay for play mm -hmm. that you have to be you have to understand what's going on and be practical and real about that when folks are like i want to be on spotify playlists i want to be on this thing sometimes you have to be like what's more important do you want to present your art the way you want it to be presented or do you want to conform to this and both are fine like yeah, both are valid um, wants yeah right? because if you want to conform that's also usually associated with a want to have your art be heard and mm -hmm. and to be accepted and hopefully to make you money back especially if you're spending money on on creating it but at the same time I, I think it's important to not have that be the only value and so if we can also kind of focus on on that and and get a realistic sense of what every artist wants for themselves and and for for their art or for their career um, and those things don't have to be related necessarily and just giving people the option to decide for themselves right and to know that those are the options and mm -hmm. to make sure that they have their priorities figured out so that they 
they can really lean into whichever option that mm-hmm. is, right? If they don't necessarily both, you know, mesh together. Yeah. Uh, just before we get too far away from the origin story of Helm, I'm wondering if you could just go into the details a little bit more about how you decided to make the studio a nonprofit and like what that entailed. Because <laughs> I believe it just, remind, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but Helm is the first nonprofit studio in BC or in Western Canada? Yeah, I found out actually relatively recently that there is a studio called VAMS and it's a accessible studio. All the gear is like retrofitted to be um, accessible for like wheelchair users and folks with like mobility oh, wow. issues. And that's like in GF Strong. And I don't know if they're a registered nonprofit, but they are. I, actually, I think they are. But we were sort of like the first of our kind and, and sort of, I guess, like the areas in, in a more broad sense. More yeah. broad as in like more communities targeted? Yeah, exactly. Just being a bit more general about like, but I was, I guess, fairly like anti-business. And I also, the things that were important to me, and, and yeah, words like branding or that feel kind of like odd. But I think in terms of like the, you want to present who you want to bring in and who you want to support and, and all those kind of things. And so I felt that there was a really strong distrust within communities that I was a part of and what, what I was kind of hearing from other communities about businesses and a pretty staunch anti-capitalist. So that was like something that I didn't really want to go be a business owner. I also knew very little about like the nonprofit world, which now I have a bit more insight into, and it's surprisingly not that different. But for me, as somebody who had no experience with either, I was like, well, if we're a nonprofit, then people will know that we mean what we say and we stand behind this sort of like ethos and this mission because they'll know that we're not in it for the money. And it's more about the value system and it's more about the art. In retrospect, turns out they're not all that different. There's a lot more oversight and there's a lot more that you have to do in terms of sort of like maintenance and upkeep and like having a board to oversee things and submitting government documents and all that kind of stuff, which actually ends up being a pretty significant barrier. But it does open up some grant opportunities and and some access to um, like city things that are helpful, especially when you're trying to not really make that much money. But yeah, it was more of just like a, like optics sounds weird, but the way that I saw it was that nonprofit would say we're real about this and and being a business that just said oh we do this was like I was like you know bullshit <laughs> you know? Um, so now I'm like oh we could have just been a business and had people maybe believe us but <laughs> <laughs> now it really seals it yeah seals the deal. <laughs> yeah one other aspect in which you support the community or like, you know, our, our local community in Vancouver, our, our community as musicians, as well as communities like people of color, LGBTQ+, like you also, besides supporting them, supporting other artists like musicians, you also mentor other producers, right? And yeah. You've, or maybe not like a ton, but you have, you've brought people on as staff and, mm-hmm. and you're teaching them skills and, and bringing them into the studio so that you, you don't have to be running the studio itself physically, like all of the hours that it's open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were able to get a grant to um, staff an admin person and um, uh, an assistant in the studio as well. And then we have rotating usually about like four to six emerging like engineers or producers who will come in and shadow and, and just get an opportunity to like be in the studio and either like hands on or just observe and and learn. And I think that that's like 
a really big part of it as well. And and when we've done like workshops or other kind of like educational things, I think knowledge sharing is such a big part of yeah how you foster community and how you ensure that yeah like I I love making music and I always want to make music and I want to do it on my terms and I want to do it in the way that feels ethical and socially responsible to me. But also I don't really want to be in charge because that just makes me the next like gatekeeper of the art scene or like you know so it's kind of seeding that power wherever possible or like making sure that there are opportunities for like education and engagement and also to like delegate responsibility and stuff ideally I would just kind of like to make music and have the industry be better (laughs) but like up until kind of that point you know it's just about trying to like yeah um just I've been able to build something that's that's been sustainable and that's that's continuing to grow and so just trying to bring more people on board and and have it not just support clients or people who are like paying for studio use but also like other people in the community more broadly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and fostering people who might either not feel welcome in other studios to apprentice or just having that intention of bringing in people who might not otherwise have the opportunity or, or 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 might not want the opportunity in the spaces that are available yeah there's definitely an aspect of sort of that like safer spaces kind of thing of just at least being aware of and holding the intention of creating safer space and there's always going to be faults in that and flaws and obviously like gaps in my experience and and my knowledge but at least moving forward with the intention we're actually doing an accessibility audit right now we have somebody who's we we applied for a grant to to do this and it's it's not a necessary thing but it's just so that we can make sure that we're continuing to move forward in ways that are serving communities that we say that we support and intend to support is just making sure that we're learning and growing and like no one person can have all the experiences so it's important to just be accountable and and be open to like learning because there's so many times where I'm wrong or I'm ignorant to something despite the best intentions and so rather than thinking of that as a a negative thing it's just like being open and receptive Mm -hmm. and letting people know that they can criticize you or they can offer you insight or advice that you just like wouldn't yeah. inherently have it's like point yeah. out some blind spots or, mm. or or whatever it is that's amazing that you're so it sounds kind of trite to say like values driven <laughs> has been like mm. you know used to death but but truly that your your values and your awareness about the importance of of community and, and representation is so forefront it's yeah just driving the whole operation i think that's like incredible mm-hmm. especially coming from someone who is still so young you know and yeah I'm just very impressed. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I think what you said about like having those gaps, being aware, it's, I think it's hard for people to admit that they're not perfect in their allyship or just in general, right? And with the human experience, like we can't know everything, Mm -hmm. every experience of every person, but we feel this pressure to be that Mm -hmm. and to do that. And I think that's a huge, huge part of being an ally, being um, someone who is trying to help these marginalized communities is by allowing them to be like at the forefront, allowing them to educate us as we giving, yeah, giving them that space, the safer space to do so. I mean, that's, Mm. that is like job number one. And so the fact that that is your, basically your whole um, studio philosophy is Mm. like Alex said, it's a very impressive and very important. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I I obviously like uh, agree. I think it's, I think it's deeply important and I think, like I just I want to do things that feel like they they matter and it's really easy to like 
do things for a while and just feel like the novelty's worn off or it's boring. But I think that something that has always been important to me is people. And I think that it's just it's just any any relationship that you have if you're not listening or if you're not taking people's experiences as valid or like you're not appreciating what they're saying you're not getting the full picture and you're not supporting or, or loving them in a, in a real way and so I think just taking that into art which is such a personal thing like it's, it's just it's literally self-expression and so if you're censoring that or you're not really listening then mm-hmm. you're you're really not helping you're not doing your work you're just inserting yourself onto somebody else's mm-hmm. um, story and that's something that is really easy to do and I'm, I've definitely been guilty of but it's yeah, like you said, just being aware and trying to take accountability when you realize that you've been blind to something or that you've been operating in a way that doesn't align with how you see your values being. Yeah, well, one thing that I wanted to ask you, but I feel like I've gleaned enough information from this conversation to know the answer to, but maybe you can elaborate. It's just, you know, we said you started, you graduated young, you went to CAP for performance. Was that the goal at the time? Uh, kind or of. I, like... I wanted to be a teacher, um, okay. but I went into the performance stream, which I also was passionate about at that point in time. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you're passionate about performance, about teaching, modeling got in there. You know, it seems like your trajectory since you started this, like post-secondary, has been just kind of taking opportunities as they come and really listening, maybe like, yeah, being driven by just your values as they've grown and and developed do you have like a a clear path that you're trying to follow now are you still in that I mean am I am I right to say that first of all that you've just kind of gone where the opportunities are gone with where your passions were and not necessarily had like a clear path yeah, I think, I mean, I remember deciding that I wanted to be a teacher in high school because I had teachers who were really inspirational to me. I actually had the opportunity of working with and co-producing a record with uh, one of my high school instructors a couple oh, months nice. ago, which was this beautiful f- full circle thing. Like we hadn't seen each other in a decade and Aww. it was really wonderful. But I also saw that like if I went into public education, I wasn't going to be able to make, like maybe I would be able to make a change on sort of like a personal level, but like on a grand scheme, I was just like, I think it's going to be really restrictive and I don't know if I can do that. And so it's always been very, yeah, I guess like gut driven. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I'm still very much figuring things out, but something that I have often done is just like thrown myself into things and then figured it out. So I can struggle with getting motivation to like do things. So making it impossible to get out of, um, (laughs) Like signing up for a year's lease for a studio or like whatever, or like these things where you just like... You just have to swing big. Yeah, because yeah. Because otherwise you won't, like me with asking my mom to sew. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly the yeah. same. It's exactly the same as starting a nonprofit music yeah. studio. <laughs> I'm glad I can relate. But to conceptually, you yeah. I really conceptually, I think it's yeah. about that. And I mean, like, it's the I, commitment first. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that that's something that is important to me is like, yeah, commitment to at least we're always like growing and learning and like developing and changing as people. But I'm realizing more how much like authenticity is important in, in like what I've tried to do throughout my life. And a lot of times it's been authenticity glazed with other things and mm. the confusion and mm-hmm. like other pressures. It's but, hard to be authentic when you don't necessarily know what that is to yeah, you yet. Yeah, right? and, and you can lose that along the way. So if I feel something strongly, then I want to follow that thing, at least up until a point that I realize that's, you know, maybe not <laughs> representative of who I <laughs> right. am or something. But this feels like it's 
combining everything that that is really important and like I don't see there being hugely significant social justice progress in <laughs> you know the coming years unfortunately and I definitely think there's a lot of work to be done alongside the sort of like music industry so there's a lot to like build and there's a lot to do and to to think of so I feel like I'll be busy for a while. And there's a lot of people to support. Like there's still so many musicians who, you know, like who you are yet to meet and Mm. and Mm. help realize their projects and just getting established in in the community like year after year. Yeah. Yeah. There's still like plenty of room to grow. Totally. Yeah. There's always more people and like we're in a pretty small city and a pretty small community. But even then there's there's always new people to to meet and to work with. And yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. I think it's so important to remember too, just what you said about wanting to make a change. I I struggle with the feeling of like nothing I do will make a difference, you know, and it can be paralyzing to feel that way. I think it's really important to remember like what you said and just kind of take take into account what you are doing, which is just doing it where you can, like finding whatever gaps you can yeah. and trying to fill them. And, and you don't necessarily have to feel like you are making, you know, those big changes to to actually make a difference right yeah just yeah making a difference in your small community yeah is good enough and i think on the other side of what you're doing like being an artist and knowing that you're you or say me as an artist that i'm working with people whose values i align with and Mm. like having Mm -hmm. that kind of out in the forefront you know it's like it's one thing for me to feel like okay my music might not make much of a difference in the world or i'm not you know a terribly unique voice but by working with people who I respect and admire and whose values I I really hold dear, that in itself is at least contributing to the change in a small way. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I think organizing is a really big part of creating change. And so the more aligned that we are and and the things that we kind of do together are are the really big change makers. And and like you said, doing it where you can, like even in less consequential things like exercise, it's like I used to be so specific about like, it needs to be this and it needs to be perfect. And now I'm kind of just like, "Ah, if I could do a push up, then great, you know, yeah, I would have done. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, where, wherever possible, I guess, is the big kind of thing now, because I recognize there's a lot of things that I won't be able to change. There are a lot of things that I just, yeah, feel too big. Um, mm-hmm. But it's kind of like you got to take the first bite. I yeah. Guess. yeah. And real change is like a million little steps, right? It's not yeah. one big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we all can do our part and make those little steps for ourselves. And hopefully it's part of a bigger picture. Yeah. So now that Helm has been running for a while, you've got a li- you've got some staff, you've got clients that you're working with. Do you feel like you do have a little bit more time for your own creative expression and getting back to music a little bit for yourself? Yes and no. I'm still probably working too much, but I, I've been more conscious of, of doing things for myself in, in the last while. And so over the winter holidays last year, I had I remembered how important writing was for me to like process how I was feeling. And the pandemic was so challenging, brought up so much trauma and like just like revived so much like dormant mental illness mm. that getting back into therapy and realizing kind of where I was at personally, I was thinking about like, okay, I'm not going to be able to help anybody if I'm not aware of what I'm experiencing. And, and like there was a global pandemic and BLM riots and like th- th- everything felt so much bigger than me. And I'd lost sight of taking care of myself. And from when I was a kid, writing music was 
how I expressed and understood myself or like came to terms with the emotions I was feeling and like really gave them space and also got rid of them. Like just putting things on paper is such a good way to release things from your body. And so I started writing over the holidays, trying to like put things down of like everything I'd been feeling that I just hadn't processed in that time. And then I decided that I would take it slow, but I was going to start releasing music unpromoted and not for any reason, but other than just to do it for myself. And I, I don't really want to be at the studio like longer than I already am. So I started like if somebody was like running late or if I had like an hour break, I would start kind of picking away and like I'd be like, I'll record the guitar for this or I'll do that. And so I just finished a track that I'm releasing for my birthday next month. And yeah, it's very just very much just for me and like, obviously, I'm sharing it, so it's, you know, whoever can listen. <laughs> but it just felt important for me to do something for myself and also to, like, process all this stuff and, like, realize it and, and, and be, I guess, like, honest about that. Because not that I'm, like, a celebrity by any means, but, like, I'm more public-facing than I've ever been in my life. And there are more people who know me that I don't know or that won't have an opportunity, to, like, to get to know me. And I'm also in a service industry, so a lot of my relationships are work-focused. And that means that I do have to show up in a certain way and I have to really prioritize other people, which is a wonderful thing and I hold no like resentment to that but I definitely have historically and up to presently like really let myself be small and and not take care of myself mm -hmm. and so um this is yeah it's just like an act of of self-care to like get back into writing and it feels really cathartic and exciting and I'm hoping to do more but really yeah do it at a slow pace for no other reason than just to like do it for for me yeah. yeah that's beautiful and that's something that we intended to although i feel like in some episodes it's it's less present but <laughs> we intended to speak to our guests about like their creative habits and mm -hmm. you know specifically like nurturing their creativity or, or or how creativity nurtures them and i think that's a beautiful representation of that so mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing that yeah habits mm -hmm. are like that's my thing right now. I'm very oh, into that. Like nice. I, I've been trying to Some create Virgo energy. Habits. No, you're not a Virgo. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but I, I, I'm realizing how responsible I am for myself and also for like people in in my life and like future generations of like healing that generational trauma and like knowing that like I can reshape my brain you know and <laughs> and that I can be responsible for like making change to my situation to show up better mm -hmm. um and so like a lot of my like quote unquote like creative habits recently have just been like, making sure I like go for a walk every day or like I get some form of exercise or like I cook for myself or like do something that is not necessarily inherently creative, but that gets me to do something different or new or like just be an observer or like be in my body. I think being more like self-realized is a way of expressing then creativity and like exploring more like creativity is so much about exploration and so being able to like have free time or like time where you feel liberated and free and not contained in like stress or anything that's like where the creativity kind of exposes itself I guess yeah you um, need to have space mm -hmm. yeah you need to have space in your life and in your experience to let creativity come through because it really I mean for me personally and I'm assuming for everyone it's like it is 
isn't going to come through in a state of stress yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a state of exhaustion mm. and a state of hunger. And so mm. you facilitate like you could write a page a day of something or you could develop habits of when I record guitar, I always do this thing and that gets me ready. And you can develop those habits, but without the sort of like free expression, you don't really stumble into things. And, and even in like the work I do, if I find myself like I might be in three or four sessions in a day and like it's just like, you know, one ends and then the next begins right away. And it's this like transition and to kind of reground sometimes I just try and create randomness so that I have to deal with something instead of trying to like source all of it and like mine it from myself so trying to like use plugins that I wouldn't normally use or you know use some kind of like randomizer and then like deal with it or like decide on a synth patch and be like I have to find a way of like utilizing this <laughs> it's just ways of like creating challenges for my brain to problem solve instead of trying to like be like I'm creative let me like yeah. you know or falling into autopilot yeah mm -hmm. yeah that that's really interesting. Like problem solving, I think, is one of the things that everyone has creativity over, right? N not necessarily mm -hmm. people who think of themselves as creative. That's where their creativity really lies, yeah. right? It's just problem solving. So to intentionally like create that for problems, yourself, yeah. generate, that's yeah. a really interesting way to go, one I've never really mm. thought about for myself, but... Yeah, it's very like harmless too, right? Like that's something I really appreciate about music is it has like a very real impact on like culture and like you as a person and like we all have records that are so integral to who we see ourselves as. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like in the creative process, it's so inconsequential to make a mistake, especially in, you know, live music I, that um, you can make a mistake and maybe it feels <laughs> bad. It feels bad for me, but like yeah. in recorded audio you just do it again or you edit it, you know, right. <laughs> like, or you, you try something different and, or you just undo it. And so mm. it's, it feels very low stakes and that is liberating in a lot of ways for sure to be able to try things on. It's not working in a physical medium where you're like woodworking and then you like make the wrong cut. Um, right. I don't have the patience to make the right cut. So I always like fuck it up and waste a bunch of money. <laughs> Well, I feel like there's still so many avenues that we could go on to talk mm -hmm. to you. You're such a delight to speak with and just to glean inspiration from. Mm -hmm. I have to say I'm very inspired from this conversation. Josh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that I really realized listening to you is that I struggle so much with that idea of identifying yourself. And, you know, if you share your art with the world, it's kind of like a representation of who you are. But mm. like you said, we're always growing and changing and developing. And so a fear of mine, I think that I'm realizing is that I'm afraid of putting my stamp on something that I then will uh, regret. Re regret. Yeah. yeah. And just so to just hear you talk about doing that anyway, and just moving forward. I think that's really inspiring. Well, thank you. I mean, in reality, it's probably better <laughs> said than, than done. <laughs> no, I think I no. struggle a lot with that. Like I've pulled, you know, a lot of my internet presence down on a lot of like music and things like that, that I feel like doesn't represent mm. who I feel like I am now. Yeah. But I, I'm also realizing that that sort of like self-expression or that identity, like we often think of identity as I am this thing, like I'm a mm -hmm. musician, I am like queer, I am whatever. Mm -hmm. But identity is so much more just like, it's a passive thing. Like it's just being like, however you feel authentic, like right mm -hmm. then, um, mm -hmm. which is a deeply terrifying thing to yeah. do <laughs> and also hard to like put on paper and there's yeah, all these other things. ambiguous. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And like people are like, with art, how are, how is this gonna be received? Yeah. How are other people gonna take this? And to really just do it for you is like nearly impossible there's always other mm -hmm. things that kind of come into that equation 
but yeah, I guess trying or being aware of it, right? Like the same with yeah. any other problem is without the awareness of that issue, like you'll never get closer to resolving that or kind of calling yourself out when you see it in, mm. your, in yourself. Right. Yeah. You might never get to a point where that's not an issue or a, a, mm. a factor in your thinking, but at least you can recognize it for what it is and move past it. Yeah. Move on or work with that feeling. Yeah. Seeing things, I guess, as, as opportunities for learning or like having not like being super toxically positive but like knowing that like being more welcoming to those things rather than letting right. them hinder you which is very much a process and a thought pattern that I'm trying to like mm. instill in myself mm-hmm. um, because yeah it is it will probably never get there like we'll never be perfect performers or perfect anything so <laughs> but knowing where we want to go approximately and and knowing the things that are supporting that and the things that are hindering that is, mm-hmm. is important and being open to like the journey to get there right and like recognize that it is a process and you have to take that journey you can't just get there you can't just be there right away yeah even talking about things now like I feel so present in this conversation but it's also all this retrospective stuff of like (laughs) having the luxury of like all the things that have happened over the last like five ten years and be like oh it makes so much sense <laughs> you know right. now You're that i can just like say it in this one narrative <laughs> right, or whatever right. hide in a neat bow yeah, yeah. It's, it's been messy and confusing and all these other things in it it's but when you get the opportunity to reflect then you learn from it and you like kind of move on from from there mm-hmm Totally. Well, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming, Josh. Thank you for having me. We finish every episode with our creative recommendation. Have you got a creative recommendation that you can give to our listeners? It can be something as specific or as ephemeral as you please. <laughs> like I said, I'm in habits mode right yeah. now. Like that's <laughs> what I'm really thinking about. And I guess be gentle with yourself and try to find ways of like opening up new possibilities, whether that be and in like in different ways. So whether it be through like food or through clothing or through exercise or through poetry or or anything like whatever you're doing, just trying to like express yourself gently and like create ways of, I guess, positive change. Yeah. That's Have you great. got any specific habits that you feel like support that in you? Um, whether, whether it's like specifically supporting the gentleness, maybe we can go with that. Um, I guess I think the gentleness is just like acknowledging things as like how they are. So like if you're struggling to like do the thing that you're trying to make a habit of or you're tr- you're like, I want to be more creative and I, I'm going to write a page a day and then I'm going to be so creative at the end of it. It's like, I guess, more about that process and then being like realistic with how you're feeling and making the process not unpleasant so that you actually do it because we all want that reward of like getting to the end of the process and being better or being more capable. But if you make the process so difficult for yourself that it's unpleasant and you're not reckoning with how you feel in that process, then you, you don't get any farther and you just feel like shame and, and, and mm-hmm. all this like negative spirally stuff. So like moving forward, I think is about being realistic and acknowledging like where you are, but also trying to like always like inch it a little bit forward. I do have a creative recommendation that's just come to me as you're describing your recommendation and it is a habit that I've developed or like that I've been practicing I guess for quite a while but I think that when I think about nurturing gentleness in myself meditation is really key and I feel like people say that 
all the time. Everyone always recommends mm-hmm. meditation. And when you haven't done it or you've done it once or twice and you didn't really enjoy it, it feels very daunting. So I have something quite specific that I would like to recommend. The first is the app that I use, which is Insight Timer. And the second is the practice. So because I am not, you know, everyone thinks like, oh, I'm not a good meditator. Like I am not a good meditator. <laughs> <laughs> quantify that. In that I don't meditate for very long. I'm quite picky. There aren't a lot of types of meditation that resonate with me, but something that does really work for me and that I think really contributes to me being able to be more gentle with myself is really simple breath meditations. Mm -hmm. So what I recommend specifically is choosing a little bit of music, like a little bit of ambient or instrumental music, whatever feels good to you, and then doing square breathing. So breathing in for four, holding for four, breathing out for four, holding Mm. for four and doing that for four to eight rounds. And it should, it might only take you one minute. It might take you two or three minutes or, you know, maybe longer or go as long as you want, but just coming into that calm space, I find is really pivotal for me to return to myself and to have the, (laughs) the mental time out to actually be gentle with myself and be, and be a little bit kinder also hopefully to others. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) I'm breathing the square right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the square breathing. Yeah. Um, so I think especially for people who maybe don't love like the guided meditations, I can find, you know, sometimes it's hard to resonate with the teacher. I think that just having ambient music and doing your own lead breath work can be super, super helpful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've got a creative recommendation. It's very different than what we're talking about, but I'm going to go for it. Um, and I'll try to I'll try to not ramble on too long, but it's kind of like a, a two for one sort of recommendation wrapped up in a story. <laughs> or I, um, I, so I went to see a show at the Vogue on the weekend. It was Sasha Velour. She's a, yeah, drag queen. I know Josh knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sasha Velour. Um, and she's, she's doing a tour. I think it's North American for her new book called The Big Reveal. She just wrote and released. And the show was incredible. I can't recommend that because it was a one night thing that's <laughs> long past by the time for you're listening. international listeners if she's coming to a city near you <laughs> stay Download tuned yeah. the, the torrented video yeah. <laughs> yeah. really i mean i wish i could recommend that show because mm. it was incredible and if there's ever a show in the future that sasha valor is putting on please go because i've seen i saw her their last show as well a few years back and it was incredible they're a they're a drag performer but also also very intellectual and uh, a really amazing visual artist. And so the book itself is called A, a Drag Manifesto, um, but it really is focused on Sasha Velour and their personal life and their relation to drag, but also just the drag as a whole. I ha- Yeah, I haven't read much of the book yet because I just got it, but they actually read a few excerpts during their show. I was really moved by how deeply personal it was. It was, it was very wrapped up in themselves, but also really focused on and related to bigger picture ideas about just drag and drag history in general. One of the things they really focused on in their show and in the book is the emphasis on community, which is interesting because we talked a lot about community today. 
And one of the coolest parts of the show was that they invited a local drag performer to come on and do their own number. Their name is Rose Butch. Oh, yeah, Josh. Okay, yes, Rose Butch. I, uh, amazing. It was such a such an amazing solo performance that they did. Uh, Rose Butch is self-identified as a non-binary drag thing. And they are prominent in the Vancouver drag scene. They're part of a group called The Darlings. Yeah, really incredible solo performance. There was an interview that they kind of did for each other. They kind of chatted and volleyed back and forth with questions and highlighted the Vancouver drag scene. Talked about Man Up, which is a really big, one of the first or the longest running um, drag shows in Vancouver. It was just, it was really, really amazing. And it's, yeah, it's interesting after our conversation today, talking about just lifting up voices, you know, and it was really cool that Sasha Velour was lifting up our local scene and you know this uh, lesser known or like more local queen yeah I think you know everyone should check out the book check out Rose Butch and the Darlings and Van Up and the local drag scene it was really it was really incredible very inspiring nice that's fantastic mm-hmm. bunch of great recommendations just <laughs> all around as many, many as you can here well thank you so much for listening thank you Josh for being here with us this has been Vicarious I'm Alex <laughs> I'm Karen I'm Josh yeah <laughs> and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye. <Not me. laughs>